Prayer is an essential part of every Christian's life. It's also mysterious, even intimidating practice for believers, young and old. What's the problem? Well, a friend of mine said that praying to God is so simple a child can do it, but grown-ups often make it needlessly complicated. Hi, I'm Charles Morrison. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Great Stories Podcast. That quote I just read for you, it comes from best-selling author Nancy Guthrie, and you're going to meet her in just a moment. But before you do, I want to tell you about her new book, What Every Child Should Know About Prayer. It's an easy-to-read, biblically-inspired, yes, it even has pictures in it book that gives kids all the essential tools to make prayer a lifelong habit. But it's also something that's speaking to my wife and me as we read through it as adults. You can find a link to more about that book in our show notes or simply by visiting haventoday.org. Now, with Nancy Guthrie, let's get started. This is Haven Today, and welcome. We are a West Coast-based ministry. We are the oldest daily continuous radio program still on the air. And with me from Nashville, Tennessee, joining us today is Nancy Guthrie. We've had her on the program before. And I wanted to have Nancy on because a couple of dear friends of mine, one of them's now with the Lord, highly recommended a book she wrote. Nancy, welcome back to Haven Today. Oh, Charles, I'm so grateful to be with you and your listeners today. You wrote a book, and normally I don't like to sound like I'm pitching a book, but Janet and I are actually reading your book together this week. Give us the title. We'll dig into talking to you about this topic. It is a sweet little children's book called What Every Child Should Know About Prayer. Although maybe it's not really a little book because it actually has chapters to it, but it's still not too overwhelming. And I I should mention, yes, it's, it's a nice hardback book designed in a style that would interest a child. Jenny Brake did a wonderful job for the illustrations for you there. This is a book you wrote to teach children how to pray. And as I started scanning the book when it first arrived in my mailbox, I said, Every adult needs to read this. Hence, Janet and I are reading your book together starting this Mm. week, and we're doing it kind of slowly. What do you pray will happen if someone gets your book and they actually read it or their child reads it? Well, I love hearing from moms and dads and grandmothers and grandfathers that their kids day-to-day asked to pick up what every child should know about prayer, that they pick it up. And each page not only has some information about prayer, but then an invitation to pray. So to to be able to put it in practice right away. And so I love hearing that their kids actually want to read the book and that it is leading them into prayer. I mean, what better thing could happen with a book about prayer then that kids would actually then want to pray and put it into practice. But the other thing I really love hearing is that the parents and grandparents themselves are finding this to be a help for them in their own prayers, to kind of get out of the rut maybe that they're in, either in prayerlessness or only praying a certain way, and to, along with their child and grandchild as they read it, to begin to pray in in new ways and Mm. to pray more faithfully and pray more consistently. 
and more scripturally. Uh, I can't think of a better thing to happen from a children's book about prayer than that. You wrote this book for how to lead children to pray. There's an order to this. You explain why we need to pray, then you tackle what prayer is, and then you move on to how to pray. Why did you decide to write it this way? I think as we introduce prayer to children, we can tend to use, you know, memorized, short little prayers, and all of that is good. But as I put together this book, What Every Child Should Know About Prayer, I wanted to give them some of the same breadth to what prayer is and what the Bible shows us about prayer that the Bible presents. And so that means that I wanted to talk about just some of the basics of prayer, that we talk to God like we talk to other people and that we can pray anywhere and at any time. And so I introduced the idea that maybe they'd want to pray as they brush their teeth and, and that the Holy Spirit helps us as we pray. I wanted them to understand that we do more than just pray for things because oftentimes children's prayers mm-hmm. are very focused on two things, thanking him and then asking him for, for things. And so I wanted to expand that. I wanted them to, sh- to show them examples of people in the scriptures who prayed because those are very instructive. And throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we read actual prayers that people in the Bible prayed. And sometimes our prayers don't sound like those prayers. Mm. And so we can learn a lot from that. But of course, we can really learn from Jesus's own prayer life. The Gospels show us how Jesus went off at night. He would spend whole nights in prayer. He went off to pray by himself. But then the disciples asked him, you know, teach us to pray. And and there was so much to learn from just Jesus's simple prayer. For example, do you notice how short it is? Mm. The Lord's Prayer. So I think sometimes we think prayer has to be long and complicated. Jesus's prayer wasn't. But we also look at his prayer, his his priorities in prayer. I talked about how earlier about how we oftentimes don't begin our prayers with just simply praising God for who he is, but Jesus does. He begins with, hallowed be thy name, right? Because he's praising God for who he is. And then he moves into what is it, what, what is what is on God's heart? What's his priority? Because he wants to pray about that. So he says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a beautiful thing to begin with children uh, to not necessarily begin with their own concerns, but to begin their prayers talking to God about the things that are important to God's heart. And what is important to God? It is important to God that his kingdom would be established on this earth as it is in heaven. Mm. He wants his righteousness, his holiness, his healing, his wholeness that is the very essence of heaven to become the reality of, of what we experience on earth. And we do experience it in part now as Jesus sends his spirit to make us alive spiritually. But one day he's going to return and this earth will become his kingdom Heaven is going to invade earth. And so the Lord's Prayer begins by teaching us to welcome his work in the world in regard to his kingdom coming to this earth. Those are grand thoughts. Yes. Let's introduce children to grand thoughts about God, not small thoughts of God. Exactly. Okay, let's back off a little bit. You can approach it like 
teaching children to pray, but I'm going to listen as an adult who needs to know how to pray more. And not just pray more, but can I say pray better, Nancy? Is that allowed? Can I say that? Well, I'm just really grateful for you to say that, Charles, because, you know, I'm always afraid doing an interview writing a book about prayer, then I'm going to be cast into the category of being an expert on prayer. And I suppose when you write a book about something, maybe you should be an expert. But I've written a number of books about prayer. But, you know, Charles, really, it's more about my desire, like you, to pray more faithfully, more consistently. And I kind of think that if I spend the rest of my life seeking to learn more about prayer and to pray that maybe that's not a bad way to invest my life Mm. because I'm actually destined to spend an eternity in the presence of Christ, fellowshipping with him. And so I can't think of much better to invest myself in now than to develop my relationship with him by talking to him. And isn't it a beautiful thing that the one who made the world and made us and is sovereign over history, over our lives right now, over where history is headed, that he has given us this incredible privilege. He says, come to me. Mm. Come and Mm. talk to me. Mm. And uh, I want to hear what's heavy on your heart. I want to hear what you're thinking, what you're feeling. But more than that, I want to commune with you in such a way that I through my word, by my spirit, will begin to change what you think and change how you feel and conform you into the image of my son. And all of this is part of his purpose and what he accomplishes through this thing called prayer. Last week, I was in Florida. I've got a dear friend. He's a retired pastor and his wife. He's nearing the end of his life. He's had cancer. And I wanted to see him one more time before he goes home to be with the Lord. And he spends, all he can do right now is is read World War II books and pray for people. But as I was sitting there, and this man was used by the Lord to bring me back to the faith in my 20s. I was a Jonah. I was a journalist, one of those evil people. I was running from the Lord. This guy continued to pray for me almost every day after I met him. For decades, this man has prayed for me. Sometimes we relegate prayer, I fear, to, oh, you can't serve the Lord, so you just have a ministry of prayer. That's backwards, isn't it, Nancy, where prayer should figure in our lives as believers? I think, Charles, the day's going to come when we are with Christ face-to-face, and we're seeing so much more clearly what he values and what's important to him. And as we see that more clearly, some of the people and the ministries and the things that we, you know, that we pour so much into are going to look very unimportant. And Mm. I think it's going to be a beautiful thing in heaven, actually, to see those who invested themselves in prayer consistently over the course of years, to see them honored, for them to receive the crown that they deserve, although I'm sure they'll want to just place it at his feet. But I think it's going to be a beautiful thing to see how heaven rewards and honors those who have invested themselves in prayer. Mm, I need this. I need your little book. Let's talk about what is prayer 
And Nancy, how do we get prayer wrong sometimes? Well, prayer is simply talking to God. Uh, maybe we make it complicated because maybe we, we think we have to know a prayer. I always find that interesting. I think it depends on how you've grown up. You think about maybe prayer as being a very formal thing. I, I've known people who said, I don't know any prayers because they're not recognizing it's just having a conversation with God. Mm. One thing I am grateful for is that God is so good to us that he has actually given us a whole book that are basically divinely given words that he wants us to say back to him. And, and that's the book of Psalms. Yes, it's songs, but it's also, in a sense, prayers. And so one little section of what every child should know about prayer, I just work my way through a number of Psalms that show us what they actually provide us with words. If you say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what prayer is. The Psalms give us words to pray to God. And what kinds of things are in the Psalms that, that would show us, okay, this is what things God wants us to be able to say to him. Well, the Psalms give us words to express trust in God. There's a lot of Psalms where, where the psalmist is simply asking God for help. Or there's psalms where, where they're just saying how much they enjoy and love God. You know, that's a part of prayer I think both children and adults really neglect. Mm. It is to just be telling God, God, here's what I love about you. Here's what I in, enjoy about you. I, I think most often our prayers, if you think about most of the prayers maybe we have as a family around the dinner table or short little times. Oftentimes our prayers center, I think, on two things. Number one, we really teach kids how to thank God for things, you know, mm -hmm. and which is fabulous mm -hmm. because it it helps our kids to understand that God is the source of every good thing in our life. So teaching them to thank God is is good. But there's so much more to prayer that we're presented with in the scriptures, especially in Psalms. And I'm thinking, of course, as you say this, Nancy, about my children. And yes, of course, we would pray at meal times, and, 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 you know, even if we were out, we would go ahead and have a prayer and teach the kids to do that. But it was those evening prayers. And it really is, it, it seems to be easier for a child to be able to say thank you. And it's so sweet. But that, what I hear you saying is just opening the door to just teach children. But we adults get it wrong, too. We can say thank you obligatory thank yous for just a few things. And then let's get down to business. Lord, here's what you need yeah. to do then for Then we me. move immediately to all the things we're asking him for, right? Exactly. Yeah. One thing the Psalms invite us to do is to begin our prayers simply with praise. So that means before we even thank him for what he's done, we first praise him for who he is. Mm. Because it is all about who he is. I mean, why would we even pray to him? If he were not the sovereign Lord of the universe. It's not about me. That's right. So we begin there, right? Like, Lord, I praise you that you are my rock and my salvation. I praise you as the sovereign king of the universe. I praise you as the creator who has made all things. I praise you as the righteous judge who will always do what is right. And these things then prepare us to move through prayer. So we begin with praise. We, we do thank him. For what he has done, Lord, we thank you for being a God of salvation 
who is working your salvation in this world and in my life. You have saved me. You are saving me. You will ultimately save me when Christ comes again. So we thank him for uh, salvation benefits. But then I think an important part of prayer that the Bible presents to us is confession. Uh, Mm. You know, certain traditions Mm. maybe are better at this than others. Uh, I can't, I can't remember overhearing much or being taught to pray prayers of confession in my growing up, but the Psalms invite us, Psalm 32, Psalm 130, they invite us to approach God aware of our transgressions and our sins and with the assurance that if we confess them, that they will be forgiven. Um, to prayer praise of confessing, you know, they don't have to be complicated. We just begin, Lord, I confess. And maybe one of the best ways, this is one I've pray, prayed more than once, Charles, is, Lord, I confess my prayerlessness. Mm-hmm. And just confess it and put it out. But here's the thing. He already knows. He knows all these things in our life. But something happens in us when we just simply confess. It confesses a need. As it comes out on our lips, it impresses on our hearts our need for forgiveness, our standing before him. But then we have the scriptures that assure us of his glad forgiveness for all of those sins that we are willing to become clean on. I tend to think, Charles, that one of the reasons maybe we don't pray more is because of unconfessed sin Mm, that has created a barrier. It's like, this is a barrier between him and me, and I don't want to come clean. I'm embarrassed by it all. I feel so much shame over it all, and it's just easier to not have a conversation and have to deal with all of that. And that's when I just see Jesus with his arms open wide where he says, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest for your souls. He just says, you know, come to me and confess and we'll get things right. And then we can really have a conversation. And Nancy, this idea of confession, it certainly is a word that's used in church and the history of the church. And it comes out of scripture, of course. But there's another word that goes with that too, and that's repentance. It is so hard for us. Sometimes I totally agree with you. There is this unconfessed sin, but I don't really want to have to bring myself to live a life of repentance. But that's the grace way of living the Christian life. It's repentance that we come to faith. It's repentance and a daily doing of that that keeps us in Christ and grows us in Christ. And we forget about that, don't we? You know, I think that oftentimes we think about repentance as that thing I did one time Mm -hmm. when I came to Christ and I turned toward him. But I think we're seeing in our country and in our world right now, Charles, a real crisis of discipleship amongst people in the church. We're real concerned about right doctrine. And you know what? I love that. I'm, I'm a doctrine person. And I want us to get the things of God and about God right. But I think sometimes we confuse how faithful our doctrine might be with spiritual maturity and that spiritual the mark of spiritual maturity is a person who does recognize and see the way that we fall short of God's glory mm. not just way back on that day when we 
that we look back as the day we became a Christian or took hold of Christ or became united to Christ is the words I would use, but an ongoing need for repentance, for, for eyes to see ourselves as he sees us and to see our pet sins and our bad attitudes, our self-righteousness, and our ongoing need for repentance, to be open to that. That, that kind of humility of ongoing repentance is what nurtures real relationship with Christ. Mm. This concept of praying, I, I grew up in the faith in a style of Christianity, and I say this to our team sometimes, where, yes, we're going to have a prayer meeting at church, and we spend an hour talking about prayer, and then five minutes we pray. Exactly. I, like, I like what you say in your book, let's pray, just yes. do it. I have to tell you about doing this recently, Charles. Please. So, so my husband and I right now are jointly teaching a six-week Sunday school class on suffering at our church. And another book I wrote recently is a book called I'm Praying for You, which takes 40 passages of scripture that express purpose that God has in suffering and then turns that into prayer. So my contention is if the Bible gives us purposes for prayer, then we should then rather than only praying for God to take away our suffering, which is pretty much only what we know how to do, that we should expand our vocabulary for prayer, asking him to accomplish his purposes through the mm-hmm. suffering in our in our lives. And so in our Sunday school class I determined I didn't want to do exactly what you said, spend the whole time talking about prayer and not pray. And so for the hour, we just asked people to stand up and share something they needed prayer about. And and our ground rules were, this can't be about somebody else that needs prayer, because that's the other thing we're comfortable with, right? We're comfortable saying, you know, my uncle has this problem, he really needs prayer. But no, this has to be a way that we can pray for you. And then I had passed out this sheet with all of these scripture passages that show purposes God had in prayer and and just said, let's give this a try. Let's try praying for these people according to the scriptures. And I have to tell you, Charles, I mean, just afterwards, I've gotten several texts from people in our Sunday school class and had conversations with people. They were so incredibly blessed, primarily because of just what you said, you know, that we talk about praying, but it was so sweet amongst the body of Christ at our church, because people poured out very significant needs. You know, mm-hmm. a six-year-old who's talking about ending his life. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a woman who's, whose son is away from Christ. So I had everyone who has a child who is wandering away from Christ, who is not in Christ. Let's stand up and pray for you. A person who is, you know, got stage four cancer and we prayed. So it was so powerful to just actually do it together rather than simply talk about it. Mm, that's good. One of the things that I so appreciate in reading your new book on teaching a child how to pray, we struggled for years with our son who we lost to a drug overdose. You've had to learn to pray the hard way too, haven't you? You know, yes and no. I I would say to you, Charles, and I wonder if some of this was your experience, but in the midst of loss, I found it really hard to pray. And I felt at times really guilty that so many people were praying for us and I could hardly form the words. I hardly knew what to ask for at times in the midst of the loss of two of our children. And that's when I felt so grateful to know that what we read in the scriptures is really true. And that is sometimes 
sometimes in the midst of loss, our prayers are just groans. Mm -hmm. And that we're we're assured that the Spirit is praying for us when we don't have the words. Mm. But I think the key thing there, Charles, is that our groans are groaned heavenward. In the midst of loss, we, we have some choices. We can we can turn away from God because we're angry with him. We're not, we resent that he didn't answer our prayers, maybe the way that we had hoped to. Mm-hmm. He would. But the other choice, and I think this is what the Psalms provide us with, with words for, is to turn to him and say, in prayer, to look to him rather than away from him, but to look to him and say, I don't understand. I read in the scriptures where it says that you're good and that you are in charge of all things. And I have to say to you, God, I feel like I'm in the dark and I can't see it. I I, I can't see my way forward. So I'm so grateful to read here in Psalm 139, where you say, even the dark will not be dark to you. Or I read in Psalm 23 that as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am sure that you are with me. And so, Lord, I'm not expecting that you're going to make everything perfectly clear or even acceptable to me in a moment, but I am so grateful to know you are with me. And so I'm going to look to you and lean into you in prayer, even in these dark times, and just relish the reality that you are speaking to me, which says that you are with me even here and that this dark place is not dark to you. We live in a culture where people expect to always get an answer or get what they want. How do we expect God to answer our prayers that's biblical? This is where I'm so grateful that we have examples in the scriptures. I mean, I tend to think that we we think that if I'm good enough and I'm godly enough, and I pray hard enough, and I use the right words, and I pray often enough, then somehow that will be the secret formula for getting God to say yes Hmm. to my prayers. But then we open up the Gospels, and we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And three times we hear him pray, Father, if there's any other way, Take this cup from me. And so three times he prays a righteous, rigorous, repeated prayer. And so right away we know that, that this, the key is not being godly enough to get a yes to your prayer. Here's Jesus. He has never sinned. And yet in the silence from heaven and what we see happen as Jesus goes to the cross, in a sense, Jesus experiences having God say no to his prayer. Mm-hmm. So we not only see it in Jesus, but then we go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, and he has suffered significantly. And we are told there that he, he's got this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is exactly, but we know it's an unrelenting agony such that he's pleading. It says he pled, he begged, one translation says, three times for the Lord to take it away. And then he hears Jesus speak to him. I, I, I don't think it's what he was hoping to hear Jesus say, but he hears Jesus speaking to him. 
And what he doesn't hear is, okay, I'm going to take away the thorn. Instead, he hears, my grace is sufficient. Mm. My power is made perfect in weakness. And out of that, Paul says, so therefore I can be content in hardships and difficulties and persecutions. So he understands the answer to his prayer is not that God is going to change his circumstances or take away the pain. Instead, he, what he hears is this promise from Jesus saying, I'm going to be enough for you in this. I'm going to provide what you need that will enable you to endure the pain that I'm not going to take away. And so out of that, I think Paul begins to pray very differently. He, rather than continuing to pray for that pain to be removed, he begins to pray for it to be redeemed in his life. And so I think both the example of Jesus and the example of Paul help us when we go to God with righteous, repeated, rigorous prayers that in a sense we, we sense God is saying no to. He says, I have another plan. I'm going to do this another way. I've got another purpose in this. Hmm. And it enables us to receive that generous, sufficient grace and to experience that divine power coming to rest on us like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12 and therefore to be able to be content no matter how God chooses to answer our prayers. Nancy, we live in a world where many, many Christians, you've encountered them, I encounter them, believe that I can claim and pray and get my desired result. Is that right or is that wrong? I just don't know where anyone gets that in the scripture. (laughs) Uh, I, I just don't know. I don't see it at all. What I see is prayer is not a mechanism to get what I deem to be the best result of my situation from God, but rather prayer is the way I enter into his presence and I humble myself under his wisdom and goodness and righteousness and sovereignty. And that prayer fellowship with him is what enables me to be in a posture of receiving whatever his good, sovereign, righteous plan is. I just think there is such arrogance in determining what the best outcome is in a certain situation and then putting all the pressure on God to insist that he do things my way. I mean, Mm -hmm. that just is... arrogant. I just don't even see that. I just don't even see that in the scriptures. You know, I remember Charles, as you know, my husband and I have had two children who were born with a rare metabolic disorder and each lived a really short time. And I remember, well, I was just a few weeks into my daughter Hope's life. Uh, We had this diagnosis. I knew that she was going to live just a short time. And Mm. I determined one day, okay, I'm going to go up to this room, this nursery we had prepared for her and I had her with me. I'm sitting in the glider rocker and I was like, finally had some time. I felt like to pray about it. And I thought to myself, I've been so generous to God to be willing to accept that her life is going to be short, but I am, here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to give her as long a life as possible, to extend her life as long as possible. To me, that seemed like a very generous on my part to ask God to talk to him that way. And so it was like, I began to formulate that prayer. And then all of a sudden I thought to myself, Well, 
what if a longer life for her isn't best for her Mm -hmm. or isn't best for me? Mm. Might I be willing to accept and just trust God that he knows what is best? And so instead of begging him to extend her life, I began to beg him to give me the grace to accept the number of days that he gave to her. Mm. Mm. To ask him for the grace that the number of days that he gave to her would be enough for me. Mm -hmm. That I could accept that as his good plan for her life Mm. and for my life. I talk to a lot of people, Nancy, and I hear from more and more people, Christians, who say, can it get any worse than it has been? And of course, in a sense, Christians have always been saying that through the centuries. But it seems like right now, more than ever, can it get any worse? I think with that in mind, we should not just talk about prayer. We should pray. And I should ask you to lead us in prayer right now. Could you do that for us, Nancy? I'd love to. Lord, we thank you for your word that shows us and invites us and trains us to pray. That at the very beginning of the Bible, we read in Genesis 4, that it was at this point that people to begin to call on the name of the Lord. And Lord, we want to be people who call on the name of the Lord. And by that calling upon your power, your goodness, your sovereignty, And Lord, we pray that you would be at work in our lives. Would you keep nudging us toward yourself in prayer? Would you make us, over the course of our lifetimes increasingly, more people of prayer? Lord, we don't want to see prayer as an afterthought or as maybe the only thing we can do, but Lord, would you increasingly give us such an esteem for the time that we spend in prayer, that it's not a waste of time. It's not a lesser use of time, but that it's the way we could use our time in a way that would please you and would draw us even now into a closer relationship with you. Lord, we longingly look forward to the day when your kingdom does come and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That day when we will no longer see through a veil dimly, but we'll see you face to face and we'll be able to have that face to face communion with you. And so, Lord, fix our hearts on that day. Would you use even our prayers to draw us into longing for your return, longing for the establishment of your kingdom in this world, in the new heaven and the new earth? Give us a greater love for Christ as we pray and create in us a greater longing for his return. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Nancy Guthrie, you have opened my eyes and I pray the eyes of many others on how not only I need to pray more, but how I can pray more and pray better. Thank you. You've been a real blessing.
So glad to be with you and your listeners. Thank you for joining me on today's episode, Great Stories with Charles Morris. I also want to give a special thanks to Nancy Guthrie in Nashville for teaching us and leading us how to pray and how to teach our children to pray and maybe help us grown-ups in the process. You can learn more about our book by clicking the link in the show notes. And one more thing, if you've been keeping up with the news, you know that Ukraine and Russia are right there on the brink of what might become one of the largest wars in recent memory. A few days ago, I spoke with Christians on both sides of the border. And if you're interested in hearing how believers are coping and praying and, well, praying for each other during this time of uncertainty and dread, I want to encourage you to listen to that podcast. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on our blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris.